the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoshio Podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL, it's the Tim DeMoss Show. And if you're new to the station, uh, one of the things I love to do with this program is have periodically guests on who are local. Uh, we also have folks who are regional and national guests and all that. But today we have a special guest, my friend Meg. Hey, Meg. Hey, how are you doing? Good. We, uh, we've we known each other for a long time, but kind of at a distance. We both professionally you know, have known each other because I DJ weddings. And I'm a wedding photographer. I've yeah. had my own business for 10 years. Yeah. So we work together off and on. And so we're friends on Facebook and I see, you know, you post and scroll whatever and everything. And so some of the stuff you've posted about in the last year or two has caught my eye, including how you kind of present yourself. So I want to invite you on to chat a little bit about that. And uh, so just share a little bit about the, what life's been like. Just establish, you know, you mentioned your wedding photographer, just family life work and we'll get into it. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's for really sure. nice to be here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm married. I have two elementary aged kids who are six and eight. Yeah. I've run my own business for the past 10 years as a wedding photographer, wedding photographer. Yeah. Uh, my husband is also self-employed and I think the past two years for our family have been probably, we probably had a similar experience to most people and that they've been quite unsettling in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. it's been just a lot to navigate trying to parent, run a business, uh, see our kids' education yeah. through during a, a time where there's just a lot of challenges and a, a lot of changes and a lot of polarization. Yeah, on the on the professional front too. I know uh, when things started to close up, some of the folks I work with, or I had annual contracts with this gymnastics club or that you know wood shop uh, Christmas party, and some of them went ahead as usual, and others just dropped everything and. So as a very spotty, as a DJ, the last two years has been very spotty. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing wedding photography for you has been, like, or the weddings get postponed, or how's it been for you business-wise? Yes. Well, I mean, initially everything got postponed. Uh, There was that kind of initial three months, and then things started to open back up in June of 2020. Yeah. But then, you know, the rules were always changing. It was, okay, now you can have 50 guests. Now you can have 200 guests. Now you can have 15. You know, now all the restaurants have to be closed. So, obviously, I think for couples who are planning their weddings, I felt genuinely sad for them because I think it was, as hard as it was for me as a vendor, it's really difficult to plan a wedding when you don't know whether or not you know the rules are going to change in a month and half your guest list won't be able to come. Yeah. So I think a lot of people either cancel their weddings uh, or they postpone them to the following year or they, maybe they did out there were a lot of micro weddings which those were those were fun. I like those, but it was yeah. definitely a challenging time to try and figure out how to run a business when there was so much instability. Yeah, and how to love people through that because obviously, you know, you you may have each of us has our opinions and thoughts on uh, COVID and how it's being handled and the rules that we want to you know need to follow, but at the same time, also how do you retain some level of independent mindedness and not just kind of fall in line with everything that's uh, pushed out necessarily? And how do you love each other, including your family? Like at a wedding, I know there are brides and grooms I talk with who there was real tension in the family just because they're trying to. Well, grandma's not going to come if you do it. Then you have to. Can we just wait and right. all that is like? Well, yeah. we're going to hold the wedding up just for grandma to come. I mean, yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess okay. And now they have to. I had a lot. Of, I, I actually a lot of clients who wound up just having their you know twenty people in their backyard got married and yeah. then had a ceremony a year later. Yes, you know? I had a couple of those too. Yeah, yeah. So there's that, uh, and then profession. That's professionally. Uh, but your line of work does allow you to uh, maybe you mentioned your kids being elementary school age. So t- talk about schooling for them, because I know one thing I saw about your post and for folks just tuning in chat with my friend Meg. She's from Bucks County and uh, we've known each other a number of years and uh, we're friends on Facebook. And I've seen posts that she's had over whoops, uh, posts over the last uh, year or two regarding 
specifically kids, specifically school, and that's probably been front and center for you? Yes, yeah. definitely. So. Well, I'll never forget when in March of 2020, my husband was actually supposed to go visit. He was scheduled to visit family in England, I think on the March... 15th maybe okay so we were right when things we were yeah. actually watching it and paying attention to what was going on in europe probably a little more closely than a lot of people because we were wondering if it made sense for him to go should he not go okay and i'll never forget actually in february probably like uh three or solid three to four weeks before the curve we went to costco and did our toilet paper run really? we bought a bunch of canned stuff <laughs> i so i like to think that when everyone was running for toilet paper i'm like we already have ours we bought it in february you know That's funny. um because i i personally i wasn't personally so afraid of coronavirus but i could see the panic and how it was being reported yeah. and was just starting to get a little concerned so I think it was March 13th was the day that Governor Wolf announced the schools were going to close for two weeks. And I'll never, ever forget it because I was sitting in my driveway. I just come back, I think, from the gym with my kids. And I remember seeing this alert that schools were going to were going to close. And it kind of boggled my mind because, at, at I mean, at that point, you think, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do for two weeks? Like, how am I going to work? How, how am I going to get anything done if my kids aren't going to school? And, yeah. you know, they're going to – what are they going to do? Uh, and literally, we know at that point, it was just the beginning of what's been a very long journey that we're still on to get our kids kind of just back to to a normal school routine. Yeah. Folks checking in. Uh, you listen to the Tim DeMoss show today on WFIL in Philadelphia. My friend Meg is in with us uh, in studio today, invited her in. And uh, periodically we have stories and guests, you know, from a local perspective going on, want that to be part of what WFIL does. And um, so, you know, you're in, we're talking about education now and th- talking about children. And, and we don't do a lot of, I, I was mentioning this to you before off the air, but on this show, we don't talk a lot about coronavirus. I feel like partly personally, it's it's so prevalent, so everywhere. I want people to tune into the show and not feel like it's one more conversation, but uh, people will bring it up. So if they do, I don't have to shut it down. I just, mm. But I don't generally initiate conversation. And, and ours today is not specifically about coronavirus, really, but it's about your experience with your children, with their education and what you've seen, because you're you're different probably than most in terms of where what this story has evolved over time to be. Mm-hmm. Right. So feel free to take like. So after those first couple of weeks. Yeah. So we did the did virtual learning thing for about, I guess it was what three months almost for the rest of the 2020 academic school year. Yeah. To finish it out. And my son was in kindergarten at the time and it really did not go well. Uh, I don't think that for that age group, sitting in front of a screen all day is really appropriate or a a format that's going to work for young children. I think there's a lot of evidence that shows that. And that wasn't anything against my kids' school. I mean, they did the best that they could. It was a difficult circumstance. I think everyone in that circumstance was struggling and kind of floundering to try and find a solution. Sure. I just think there are some things that are just not going to be appropriate and just aren't going to work. For so, a lot of kids. Yeah. And in that first three months, I guess March, April, May into June, I think there was a lot of um, for folks like, what is what is this? What are we dealing with? Mm-hmm. I remember we had some financial trouble during that time, partly because uh, I lost some DJ jobs. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to also have d- done lift driving mm-hmm. to fill gaps as needed over the last four years, which I enjoy. But even that, because we have a daughter who's disabled, especially, mm-hmm. I didn't want to risk. I was like, we're going to have to take a little bit of a hit financially here because it's not worth her health. Mm -hmm. But after about two months, I started feeling like I can go out again. I feel like I think I know what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I started to eventually go back out again. But that, so I think that if you, when you talk to most people, that three to four month window, there's a bit of a grace period where everybody kind of understands we were all finishing the school year, finishing something. But then from there is where it starts to become, and even the message changing, like flatten the curve became like the goal line seems to keep moving. Right. So so now you come to summer vacation, but then how did things go for you with and your development with your kids' education yeah, specifically? I realized I just because I was paying attention to what was happening pretty closely, I began to realize towards the end of spring that there were murmurs of, hey, these kids aren't going to go back to school in the fall. 
And I remember saying something about that in May 2020, and people were like, "You're you're crazy," you know. Like, of course, there you know nobody. It wasn't really on anyone's radar, but I could kind of read between the lines. And so uh, that summer, I, I live in Bucks County, yeah. And if anyone in Bucks County would probably know the name, who's been paying attention to what's been going on in education, would know the name Dr. Damsker. Um, Dr. Damsker that summer put out guidance for Bucks County, which strongly recommended kids go back to school. Okay. Now I have a I have a niece, for example, who's in England, yeah. and I believe like June fourth is when they went back to school in person. So I knew too that Europe was all going back to school June fourth, twenty twenty, twenty twenty, because. At that point, it was pretty well established that the risks to children were low in terms of getting sick from from COVID, but there were a lot of risks and potential long-term detriment that was going to happen to children if they weren't in school, because we all know what school provides for kids. It provides them not just their education, it's social learning, sure. it's um, the family structure. You know, a lot of families, like my own, mine own included, have two working parents, uh, and then you yeah. think about... One of the big things for me, too, and why that summer I started to kind of get involved in a, a very grassroots movement to get schools open was I was think, was realizing how difficult this was for my family and for my kids. And I had a very stable family. I had a good marriage. I have a supportive husband. And yet we were really struggling. And I just kept thinking about all the kids in vulnerable situations who didn't have that, who had an environment where maybe they're being abused or maybe there's domestic abuse. You know, there's a million things. All the kids with special learning needs. You know, you think about, uh, you know, you have a daughter with special needs. Well, children with special needs cannot... That from what I was hearing stories, they were being disproportionately impacted in a very negative way by not having in-person education. So I got involved with a group at a very grassroots level of other parents who were very similar to me in that, you know, I had never been involved in any kind of publicly going after an issue. I'm not really, I would never consider myself a political person. I still wouldn't consider myself a very political person. Yeah. But there was a group of parents who we were, we understood how important it was for not just our own children, but the children in our community to have an in-person education. And we just kind of started advocating for that. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, you listen to the Tim DeMoss Show today on WFIL. My friend Meg is in. She's from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and uh, we've known each other for a number of years professionally. And today I invited her in to share some of her story, which I've followed at a distance on Facebook. And and just uh, specifically, uh, you know, the, the challenge of having kids in school. She has two young kids. And again, it's not an easy thing. This is not a slam on administrators or public schools or private schools or anything. It's really more of a discussion. And I, I invited her in today because uh, because of some of the things she's experienced. And what you just said there is a perfect example. Folks who are listening, as you listen in, even if you don't have kids in school, hoping that she will take away from this conversation some some thoughts on how to be more involved in your communities and what's available to you, whether it's issues about your kids being in school or something else. We'll get to that in a minute here. I'm uh, going to take a very brief break. We'll come back more in just a moment. It's Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. AM 560 WFIL. It's Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. My uh, friend Meg is in joining us today from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and uh, we've been talking a bit, uh, a bit about her experience as a mom. Uh, she's a professional, does wedding photography, but also as a mom uh, who has two young kids and talking about how their education has been affected over the last couple of years. We were talking before the break leading up to, I guess, the summer of 2020, when you start, and in that spring you're starting to even catch wind of maybe we're not going back in the fall, mm-hmm. and that led to you becoming part of a just started to connect with other parents who had similar concerns. Yeah, very grassroots, nothing that was formally organized. Uh, And so initially in Bucks, the guidance was for children to go back to school and and schools seemed to be getting on board with that. And then um, it all kind of seemed to fall apart about mid-summer where a lot of these districts started backtracking on offering in-person education, saying they're going to go virtual, they're going to go hybrid, the whole thing. Uh, at that point, one of my friends, someone who's become a good friend, Jamie, actually filed a lawsuit against Central Bucks in the fall of 2020, okay. saying that per the school code that they they had a, uh, an obligation to provide a fair and equitable 
education. And so then Central Bucks, I believe it was the end of September, and started off offering an in-person option, at least hmm. for elementary school. So uh, that was kind of a, a start of, you know, kind of getting these schools... Be on notice a little bit. Yeah. And I think what you started to see just were parents showing up to board meetings. Um, There was, at that time, a bunch of kind of reopen school groups started for individual districts. And I think what that did is it provided a way just for parents to network, again, at a very grassroots level. Uh, who were in the same district to network for their kids to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to have, you know, show up at the school board meeting or we're going to say these things or, you know, not to feel, if anything, not to even just feel so alone. Um, for sure. I think, well, and when you yeah. started the group or became part of, started to do that, did you even really know where you were going with it necessarily? It was more just to, to start conversations about what's happening and then what can we do about it? Yeah. I, I think it was very, Organic. I think that the whole goal was always just to for for children to have the opportunity to go to school normally. You know, I, yeah. I think that I, you know, I think when you think about what is a grassroots movement, right, and how does that differ from a political movement, I think where it differs when it's grassroots is you just have normal everyday people who care about their community. They're not looking for political power or not looking to make a name for themselves. And I think those are all things where when you look at political movements, there are a lot of self-interest, right? You have a lot of people who will say they care. Maybe they'll give lip service to a certain issue, but ultimately they, they really care about themselves. And I think in this movement from the people that I've gotten to know, one of the things that's been really striking is I know it's perfect, but people are not, did not get involved and did not start, going to school board meetings and giving up of their time and honestly at times getting, you know, made fun of or slandered. Sure. You know, I mean, for myself, I've been slandered, you know, I, yeah. I, I, you know, this is, this whole thing has been difficult and it hasn't really added anything to my life. You know, it has not made my life yeah. easier, but I think it's, it was just a normal group of people who really genuinely care about the kids in, in the community and understood how they're being hurt. So, uh, folks tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL, um, Philadelphia. My friend Meg is in from Bucks County today. I invited her in. We're friends on Facebook, known each other professionally, and I wanted her to share her story, uh, you know, what it's been like the last couple of years as a working mom who also has two young kids in school and the experience. So, fall of 2020 then, what happened with your kids with their education? So, my kids were actually in a private school, so yeah. they were in person for the entire duration of the year. Okay. Um, so I said, kind of like funny that I was fighting so hard for all these other kids and my own kids were fine, you know, cause people would be like, Oh, you just care about childcare for your own, or, you know, you just care about yourself. And you're like, no, I'm actually, I genuinely care about the children in the community having the same rights and act. Cause it's, it is inequitable. I mean, it was completely inequitable. People talk about equality. Well, you know, low income children have had less access to education yeah. across the country. That's hugely inequitable and now all i mean i wrote down some numbers i won't go into it all but the data is very clearly showing that there's a huge learning loss there's increase in negative mental health effects there's all kinds of really damaging things that have resulted from this prolonged shutdown and prolonged denial of an education and it's it's very inequitable you even mentioned earlier about the you know, folks who have a the home situation not so good yeah. to begin with probably added stress and if there's situations where the parents are uh, even abusing the kids, uh, not that you want that at all, but at least if they're in school, that's eight hours. That's not happening. Yes, and well, that now they're in. They're under the same roof all day long. Well, there's. Uh, I went back. There was a 218 maltreatment report, and it actually found that educators were re- reported 20.5 percent of all like child abuse cases, which is the highest professional. Uh, report, they're the highest professional reporters. Underneath, second to them were police officers. I believe it was 18.7%. So that alone, wow. of just scanning, if there's a child who is in a bad situation, you've just you know, taken away their. One of the primary ways that you would you would find out, or one of their lifelines, is going to school and the hope that maybe there's an adult there who cares about them and who takes the this, this extra time to 
make sure they're okay. Well, none of that was happening. Uh, There was a really sad letter that the DA of San Diego wrote in March 2021, March of uh, last year. And she talked about how the local children's hospital had seen, I think, almost 100% increase in uh, investigating child abuse injuries. They were seeing increase of children being exposed to domestic violence, all these secondary things that a lot of people really weren't thinking about. Um, so I think for myself and the people I was working with, that's kind of what motivated us. I mean, I say the, the whole school year, I mean, you could sit down and go nitty gritty, but it would probably be kind of boring, but it basically resulted in, I, I believe I don't have the official numbers, but Bucks County had, um, I believe more students in school than almost any other county in the state. And a lot of that was because Dr. Damsker's guidance allowed for that. But it was also because a lot of parents and just not even parents, grandparents, aunts, people in the community, retired teachers really stood up and came together and worked together to advocate for children to have the the right to go to, to school. Which you would have thought in 2021 we'd have to advocate for that. But here we are, right? Yeah, yeah. And obviously it's a complex situation. And I bet there are administrators in, in various school situations who would even agree with you. But they may feel like, but I'm dealing with a massive, a you know, large school. And not everybody feels your way. And there are people who you know, are, are much more like we need to keep everything virtual, everybody separate. Why even thinking, why can't everyone do that? Well, there are a lot of reasons why not everyone can do that, including their home situation. But but even then, let's find a way or something. Uh, So it's it's not as easy as even probably just going right through it. What happened then? So you mentioned your kids were good for 2020 to 2021. Mm -hmm. And because they were in a private school where it was where they were able to be in person. But you still had that passion to help kids in other situations where that's not the case. Right. So. Over that school year, what was your what was that involvement for you like? Did you start to become more involved in? Uh, I know we talked about the the right to know situation. Yeah, so, so that's over. I guess it was the beginning of 2021. My friend Jamie, who um, was very involved with what was going on in Central Bucks, yeah. had actually started submitting right to know requests. Now, what a right to know request is is you're basically asking for a public record. Anyone who has a government agency email, whether that's a school district, whether that's the governor's office, the Department of Health, their emails are subject to something called Right to Know. It's kind of like a FOIA request, but at the state level. Um, Now, not every record is available to be, not every record can be asked for. There are some limitations, but basically it kind of gives you as a, a citizen the ability to hold your government officials and your elected leaders accountable and to understand what's going on. And I think that you know transparency is extremely important. Uh, people who don't have something to hide have no problem with transparency generally, right? Sure. Right, right. So, I mean, you know, so I started helping Jamie and then started submitting these right-to-know requests, which was really fascinating because we kind of pieced together, well, why, why did all these school districts – go against the advice of the direct public health director during a pandemic. So you put it that way, you think, oh, yeah, why, why did they? Dr. Damsker's advice was it's safer for children to be in school than out of school. And all of these districts just said, not going to listen. You know, why, why did that happen? And I think what we found was there's a lot of outside influences in education. Um, my own interpretation is, unfortunately, I think that... Uh, that perhaps when public education was set up, it was set up to serve students, but now there are a lot of different interests that it also serves. And unfortunately, I don't think students are always prioritized when people are creating education policy. Chat with my friend Meg. She's from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. We've known each other professionally. She's a wedding photographer. I've done DJing weddings, and we've crossed paths every now and again. Friends on Facebook and some things she's posted the last couple of years pertaining to kids in school or not in school have rung a bell with me, and I just wanted to share her thoughts with you, and also not just whether you have kids in school or not, some things you can learn in terms of how you can have an impact on your communities, and we'll keep our conversation rolling in just a moment. You're listening to Tim DeMoss' show, AM560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. AM560, WFIL.com, and on the app, you're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. My friend Meg is joining me from uh, Bucks County. She's in studio, and we're talking about 
uh, things that have to do with kids in school or not being able to be in school. Last couple of years have been challenging for a lot of folks in a lot of places. Her kids have actually been able to continue on in person in school for most of the time. But uh, she has a heart for those where that's not been the case. And we were talking before the break about something you've embarked upon, the uh, right to know uh, emails and things like that. Uh, drill down a little bit on that. The government emails, if someone has an email address, you can't get everything. It's classified. But what are the kinds of things you could ask for? And I, and I ask this as you're listening in, folks, that uh, maybe it's not about kids in school. Maybe it's something else going on in your community that you could then learn a little bit about how you would try to understand what's happening. What do you have right to understand? Right. So every agency has a right to know officer. So for example, say it's a school district, say it's the central buck school district. And so I, we brought them, I brought them up before. Yeah. So you would go on their website and you would find if you like kind of search right to know and what they should have is a right to know officer. And then what you, what you would do is there's they'll either have a form on their website or you can actually just Google it right to know Pennsylvania. And it's just a form that you fill out. So you put your name, your address, um, your basic information, and then they ask what records you're interested in. This is where it does take, a, it's definitely a bit of a learning curve yeah. with asking for records because there are a lot of rules in terms of how specific it is. Um, you know, the more specific you can be, the better. They can deny your request if it's not specific. So you might say, I would like to know if the superintendent has been writing emails to the board about, I don't know, we'll say about... Is the sky blue? So it's yeah. very non-controversial. Yes. So you would say, you know, uh, I would asking for all email attachments and, and records and would, you know, I'm trying to think of the specific wording, but from the superintendent and you'd write their name to X, Y, and Z, list those people. And then you set a date range from, say, September 1st through October 15th. And then you submit the request to the agency. The email should be there on the website. And then typically what will happen is after seven days, you get an email where they're asking for an extension. So then they have 30 days to provide you the records. Now, either they provide you the records. They might say, oh, you weren't specific enough. You need to rewrite the request. They might say that even if it was specific enough, they don't want to give you the emails. They might say, okay, we granted part of your request. Here's some of your emails, but we kept some of them behind. You know, there's a lot of games, unfortunately, at this point. Yeah. Where uh, my experience, I think I've submitted over 300 requests this, in in last the past year, which is 300 crazy. 300 right to know. To, uh, to over 30 agencies, a lot. Like going down the, a lot of paths, trying to figure out just what happened, you know. Um, so, and, and clarify that for a second. You, all of the, were all of those in conjunction somehow with why the recommendation, what Dr. Damsker was to Yeah, a lot of it was to figure out what happened, why did schools... Schools like, for example, Central Bucks had been planning on going in person, and then they kind of changed fall, very dramatically in the fall of 2020. Yes, and then also there was a lot of um, there's a program called Test to Stay about wanting to do testing for COVID in schools, trying to find out some information about that. Uh, then also, I mean, over the summer in August, there was quite a big thing where the Secretary of Health actually reached out to the commissioners at Bucks and yeah. basically told them to change the guidance, which, if you understand the disease law of 1955, isn't really legal. They're not legally able to do that, to intervene in that way. So a lot of um, trying to figure out what happened there. And I'm still, Bucks, I'm still, I mean, I think I have five ongoing appeals with the Bucks County government right now. So I'm still- Uh, um, They must love you. They they love me. (laughs) Birthday kids, That's definitely the word I would use. Me and my friend Jamie, they they love us. They just think we're great. So, you know. Okay. That's obviously tongue-in-cheek. You never had any clue. Obviously, you're going to be doing 300 of these. I'm guessing you've also gotten good at it or you've learned how to- I mean, I've learned. Yes. I mean, I think I understand the, uh, I mean, it's a learning curve. You know, anything you apply yourself to or you feel called to do, you just start doing it and you don't do it perfectly, but you do learn as you, as you go. I'm not by any means an expert. I would never give anyone any legal advice, Um, but I know how to submit a request and maybe have learned with some help. I mean, again, there's a woman who's part of our, this kind of group that I've connected with, who's been really, really helpful. So I have to, I won't name her, but I'd have to give her a lot of the credit as well. So how do you learn one quick question, just an example, how do you learn even what kind of questions to ask? Are they natural? They come I think natural? it might just be like how my brain works, to be totally honest. Yeah. I think I've always been a pretty curious person. Okay. And 
I mean, before I was a photographer, I was a, a pediatric ICU nurse. So I think my brain kind of naturally likes to go in a, a bunch of different directions all at the same time. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's all I can really say. I do think maybe it's kind of a natural bent and something that's kind of okay. interesting to me. But so for someone's listening, and if you're just uh, tuning in, it's the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL in Philadelphia. My uh, friend Meg is joining us. She's from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and we've known each other professionally. Uh, and we're friends on Facebook, and I've, I've seen some posts over the last couple of years she's had more geared toward uh, children and well-being in schools and what's happened, you know, and that depends on where you're listening. Everybody has different experience about in-school, out-of-school, virtual, and hybrid, everything. Uh, and part of the conversation, I'm hoping as you listen, even if you have no kids in school, is to learn a little bit about the process of how you can actually uh, find out more in your communities from leadership, people who are in government places. This is not to make their lives more difficult. This is not an anti-leadership or anti-people. We should be praying for people who are in authority, even if we completely disagree with them, willing to pray for them too. Um, but how do how you can, as a citizen can be empowered some to understand what's at my disposal? There, there, because don't forget, we're all human. And if you're left completely unchecked, it's easy to cut corners, possibly, or just not be as aware of what's what the people are, what matters to them. You may make a decision in a vacuum. You could even be very benevolent and be completely off base because you don't really have as much of a contact with the people. I'm sure these board meetings, you have 12 people show up regularly or 10. And then as things are passionate, it swells because mm-hmm. people are yelling. Anyway, so the process, though, of this right to know um, – I was wondering is how people would even begin to think of what would I say? And, you know, you mentioned it being every woman, so to speak, and not like I wasn't, a, I'm not an activist. I don't even consider myself an activist, but I'm, I'm just, what's driving me is this desire to help kids. Mm-hmm. So you've learned by mm-hmm. working at it, mm-hmm. but what you've learned could apply, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, I mean, anybody can do this. It's really, I think it's like anything the first time you do it, it's a little intimidating. Yeah. And maybe, you know, if you know somebody who's filled out a request, maybe ask them for some help or an opinion. You know, I think that the great thing about one of, in my opinion, the great things about the past two years is that you really see people helping each other. Right. Or, you know, when you have these schools and you have people who are just concerned about what's happening to their kids, you just saw these parents really standing together and reaching out and helping one another, um, which is which is great. So, you know, maybe you ask someone for help, but it's really one of those things where once you just do a few or maybe even, you know, online, um, I know the Office of Open Records, I believe actually once a month has little like webinars you can sign up for where you can learn about the right to know. So yeah. there's definitely lots of avenues to learn if someone's really interested in doing this. And did you find that sometimes it was no problem? It was just straightforward, but other times it depends on the information you're asking for, maybe yes. because of the sensitive nature. I'd say that uh, most agencies, I, I mean, most people aren't masochists, right? So uh, if there's something that that's going to not look great for someone, they're probably not going to just hand it over. That's actually part of the story of what happened with my friend Jamie. Yeah. So she put in this request for Central Bucks. And then they they denied the they denied it. Then she appealed. So appealing is when you say, okay, I think that they should have given this to me. You can go to the Office of Open Records and file an appeal form. It's kind of like to, you're you're basically taking the agency to court at that point. Yeah. But you don't have to pay for the lawyer. The OOR is kind of your Office of Open Records is your lawyer. So she took did the appeal. She won the appeal. But then the Central Bucks wouldn't give her the records, and instead they actually sued her, which was crazy, and I don't know if it's ever even happened before. So there she is, a private citizen who won this records request, and now the school district was suing her. Wow. So then she had to get a lawyer to kind of countersue. She did get the records. Now, interestingly, right before she got the records, the superintendent left. So you can say what you want with that. I'm not going to say what happened. Who knows? But, I mean, it's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So now let's go with the story then, kind of where things are. They took from, say, summer of 2021 Mm -hmm. through the present with regard to the, I would call it the work you're doing or, you know, where where is your head at now and your hopes for the kids in not just Bucks County, but hopefully, you know, beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I think that over the summer, it was quite a battle. A lot of it was around masks and and quarantine times. One of the, the guidance this summer from Dr. Damsker, you know, there was a lot of battling over masks, right? You saw that nationally with people at school boards. Sure. Um, and he had guidance, which would have actually made the, ma- the mask optional. However, what a lot of people missed, because everyone was so focused on that, was his guidance 
actually kind of was more in line with what the CDC just came out with, of course, about not quarantining kids for extended period of time. Of time. So, for example, instead of saying, hey, you're a five-year-old who is probably, you know, got exposed somehow. We understand that it's not good for you to keep missing 10 days of your education every time there's an exposure. This guidance allowed, I think it was like three days to stay home. And if you're not symptomatic, you just get to go to school, which is really important. Because again, we're at a point now where I don't think many people would argue that the prolonged closures haven't had a negative impact on on kids. There's so much data coming out right now because we have the data. Uh, So I think now, you know, the, the... the push is to just have schools be normal, to not have kids have to quarantine for excessive amounts of time. Dr. Damsker actually explicitly said in August was, if you're sick, stay home. If your kid's not sick, send them to school because we need kids in school. So I, I think that that is really the way forward. Dr. Damsker utilized the flu model of mitigation. So people don't really understand what contact tracing and quarantining, what that is. And what it is, it's a measles model of mitigation, which basically says like the measles is a highly transmissible disease. So if, say, for example, there's a measles case in a school, what they're going to do is they're going to look at the school. They're going to say, okay, is everyone vaccinated? If anyone isn't vaccinated and was exposed, they're going to probably have to stay home for two weeks. They're going to isolate the person with the active case of measles. They might isolate others in the class for a certain amount of time. And that's something that's always been... I think it's always been done, right? Yeah. Like, so you think about that for certain chicken pox, same way. There's certain diseases where it makes sense to do that because it actually makes an impact on the spread. However, when you think about something like the flu, well, I mean, kids get the flu in, in schools. Schools have always had flu. Now, what do they yeah. do? They they wipe the surfaces off, tell the kids to wash their hands a little bit more. You know, maybe if there's a class where half the class is gone, maybe the class shuts down for a couple of days or something so they yeah. can deep clean it. But life very much goes on. Yeah. And so over the summer, Dr. Damsker's guidance was all about, hey, life has to go on. Instead of this measles model of mitigation where we're kind of stop, start, stop, start, and we're not really making an impact anyway on on transmission, we're going to go with the flu model. We're going to recognize that this is here. It's going to be a part of our lives. It's going to be a part of schools to some degree, yeah. but we're just going to wipe down surfaces, keep sick kids home, and then move forward. Dr. So, Damsker, by the way, just for those who don't know, can you share? Um, he is the director of health at Bucks County. So okay. he's the director of health. He has been since, I'm not sure when he started, but throughout this entire thing. Yeah. Chat with my friend Meg from Bucks County. She's in studio today at my invitation to talk about, among other things, her experience last couple of years with her children's education and others she's advocating for, things she's learned. We'll wrap up our conversation in just a moment here. In just a moment, it's Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560, WFIL, and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the app, you listen to the Tim DeMoss Show. Chat with my friend Meg, who's from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, joining me in studio today, talking about, among other things, the challenges parents have faced having their kids in school or out of school, and uh, how has your faith come into play with all of this these last couple of years? Um, I mean, I think my faith has been a big motivator. I think I felt very called to this issue. I don't know how else to describe it. Even with all the right to know stuff, I just felt very called to be giving my time and energy to this. And, you know, it hasn't really been like an easy thing to be a part of. I'm not actually someone who like loves attention in, in those ways. I don't mind talking or I don't mind getting in front of people, but I'm not like driven by it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get called names. People say, who's paying you? I'm like, gosh, I wish somebody was paying me to do this. <laughs> Trust me, nobody is paying me. No one's paying my friends. We, we would be great if someone wanted to, but nobody is, you know. Um, so I, I think yeah. the faith is that I just think that, that God calls us to care about kids, right? I mean, that verse where it says, but it's better for a millstone to be hung around the neck of someone than to make a little one to stumble. And God's heart yeah. is for the vulnerable, And my whole thought in all of this, it's really the most vulnerable children who have lost the most in all of this. And I've been floored because I feel like nobody really cares. Nobody's talked about it. It's just all this talk about what's great for adults. And very few people 
at least that I heard, were stopping and saying, well, what about the, the really vulnerable kids? What about the kids who, who don't have a loving family? Or what about the kids who don't have internet? Or, or I think in, in Philly, I forget what percent, but a large percent of kids just went missing. They don't know what happened to them. They just weren't, they weren't logging in. They're just gone. You know, hmm. uh, a large amount of kids across the country, you know, and nobody really stopped to to care about those kids. And I just my greater question is, what does that say about us as a society? Right. When, you know, uh, someone I, f- I followed and kind of became Facebook friends with back in like early spring 2020 had mentioned this about how, you know, wh- how we take care of children really probably tells us the most about who we are as a society. And I think when we kind of just don't even talk about now, now people are starting to talk about it. But for a solid year and a half, if you talked about, hey, or just ask questions, what is this doing to kids? It was like, you want to you hate everyone and you just want people to die. And you're like, no, no, really, trust me, I I don't want people to die. I really don't. I just want to make sure that things we're doing make sense and that we're not doing more collateral damage to our, our future. I mean, to me, it's just so backwards, the idea that we'd ask adults to sacrifice for kids. Like, I just think that any what other generation in America would come at a problem like that. Like, the, our whole point is that we, as the adults in the room, are supposed to sacrifice. And I'm not saying people have to be reckless or you have to, like... No, not at all. But, but there's just the whole mindset of who should be considered first. Well, the vulnerable, the children. And I think that's, in my mind, it's a biblical mindset. It's a really great point. I'm just curious, as you've been on this topic for a couple of years now... Have you found that kids actually intentionally or unintentionally got forgotten in the process because there's so many logistics to handle at an adult level that the that the people are not really thinking it's not necessarily they're against kids, but they mm-hmm. almost think that kids kids will adapt. Maybe. Maybe it's kinda like you I mean, know what I think saying? it's our whole society, right? I mean, I think about myself and, and how this has really turned so many things on its head and just as a woman, right? Growing up and I, I, I haven't like particularly studied feminism, but you think about how this idea that we've devalued motherhood for women, right? Like, and I'm, I'm very much like, I think it's great that like women for working and I, I must feel like I'm a pretty strong person is pretty strong so I'm obviously not like anti that but at the same time you think about how we've devalued children even just as as women and and with kind of saying like well you know raising kids isn't really that important like it's okay but it's not that important you know so um, therefore maybe it shouldn't be that big a surprise well I just think yeah Yeah. or even like you know talk about like it was being like pro-life month right like how we've devalued children in the womb right yeah we think about our society now where we have all this social media and it's all about everything looking great and looking perfect. And, um, you know, it's just, those are the things that we tend to value. And anybody who has kids knows that kids really don't help your uh, goal of perfection. If that's your goal, (laughs) kids generally are not going to help you look better. Uh, they're not going to help your house look better. Like, unless you're super cute, then, Oh, I mean, I'm just saying, so when you think about these pillars of our society and the things that we as a society value, and I say we, as myself included, I mean, I think this whole thing has made me, even really think about how much of that kind of feminist lie of that there's something better than taking care of your children. And I'm someone who I've been home with my kids. Like I always, I would have always thought I prioritized and valued them. But then I think maybe, you know, some of that's kind of seeped into my own thinking and maybe I really haven't, I haven't understood the sacredness of it, right. Of, Hmm. of that. It really is quite a sacred thing to, raise a child it's like like c.s lewis quote where he says you know children don't keep us from important work they are the important work and i think if we look at our society i don't really think we're a society that acts like children are the important work um i think we put a lot of pressure on kids and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves right and we put a lot of pressure or a lot of pressure on having stuff you know but do we really value those kind of more intangibles that are you know really what the Bible says about learning to be content, right? I mean, Paul says, you know, I've learned a secret is is to just be content in whatever season. And I can't say that I've learned that lesson. <laughs> Sit here and pretend that I'm like, you know, I'm like preaching this to myself. But, yeah. you know, I think that perhaps we, we really, if we look at our values, 
I don't really know that you'd say this is a society that really values the vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's good. It's really been great having you in. If you're just tuning in, we've been chatting with my friend Meg, who lives in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and uh, we've known each other for a number of years. And But I, I had her in today not to talk so much about weddings and photography as much as uh, the the you know children. Uh, she has two children that are they're, uh, in their single digits and the experience they've had, but even on a greater level, the advocate, advocating she's doing, uh, just looking to help bring about uh, you know positive outcomes for kids who are often have had to learn from home. And some of the challenges, uh, we, we talked a lot of things, and you know, listen back to the podcast, you can find out more about some of the things we've said. Uh, and, it, yeah, it's almost important that you do that because if you listen through our conversation that we've had today, you won't find uh, – venom and raising your fist and yelling and screaming and name calling but you're you have a good focus it seems like on what god's put on your heart and a desire to keep things reasonable you're not saying oh covid doesn't matter it's all a fake in your head but you're also saying there's a lot of other stuff that needs to be not forgotten starting with the children themselves Mm. and how can we literally think through this wisely and act wisely not in fear uh, and then, and then it's not easy because we are, especially I guess in the public school situation, you're dealing with lots of people from lots of backgrounds, and there's a lot in play there that's different. Um, you know, we, I'm sure we could keep talking about a lot of things. I just thought I would conclude by asking you uh, to step back from it because you would know what you've lived the last couple of years. Anything about either what you've been through, whether it's the pursuit of information, the right to know stuff you were doing and have done or just about being a parent or how to love your neighbor or anything about this. And maybe if there's anything you want to encourage listeners to consider, whether it's on the issue of schooling with Mm -hmm. young children or anything else. Um, I mean, I think like to kind of go a little more meta than like specific. Yeah. I I think, I think when I started, I said about this, the past two years have been very unsettling, right? There's someone I listen to who says a lot, you know, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and I think as Christians, that's kind of the calling of our lives, right? Um, when I was in my early 20s, I was fortunate to have had some very, what I would call intense experiences and in that I worked in the, in the pediatric ICU and I, I took care of children who were dying and were suffering. And then mm. I spent a year in post-Civil War Liberia volunteering with an organization called Mercy Ships. And I think both of those experiences were very formative because it made me realize that that life is is very unsettling sometimes and that as christians you know our hope really is not supposed to be in this life because you know you have a kid i mean you have a daughter with special needs like yeah. that's a, a hard it's hard to watch children suffer right it's hard for to sure. have the day in and day out of having to care for someone who needs a lot of care as much as you love them i'm as long as you love your daughter and you're i'm sure you're happy to do it but i'm sure there's also times where it's really it's really difficult and it means that there's some things that you're not, you're not as free to do than if the situation were different. You know, I think about my time in Liberia where there was a a 14 year civil war and there was no water in the, in the city. There was no electricity. There were children who had had their hands put in a fire by rebel soldiers and just completely burned and all these horrible, horrible things. And you think, wow, like those are people who are, are children of God. Like those are, children of God that were created in the image and likeness of God and their lives have been filled with suffering. And so I think in America, we live in this, have lived in this really unique time and space where I'm talking, I can say this personally, where there's been so much privilege in that you never think twice about these things. You know, I've never, I mean, not saying that there aren't things that are hard in life still, there are, but you know, I've never thought, man, I have a tooth infection. I wonder if I'm going to die because I can't get access to antibiotics versus, you know, I took care of a patient in Liberia who almost died because he had a tooth infection and there was no dentist and there was no antibiotics. And, you know, fortunately Mm. we were able to give him treatment and care, but if we hadn't, he would have died, you know? So I think that this past two years of 
feeling very unsettled because this has been unsettling for, I know, for my family. I mean, being involved in all of this and it's time and it's time taken away from other things and it's, you know, do we want to even live in this state anymore? Like, sure. do we, can we run our businesses? Cause everything's shut down. Now there's all these rules. And do I, you know, do our kids like, are there, is there education going to be, are they going to be okay? And I, I think that we want to, as believer, as people, we want to be settled. Right. And yet the whole crux of the gospel and the Bible is the world is not your home. <laughs> so True. it's like, you know, and then I'm saying, I'm not saying that I think it's wrong to want to, to be, you know, have a normal life. Like I think God wants that for us. Honestly, I think there's a lot in the Bible that points to, you know, just live a, a peaceful life and a peaceful existence. And yet, you know, in this world, you will have trouble, like, but fear not, like this world is not your home. You know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And yeah. that's, the hope. So I think if anything, as a parent, when I start to look around at circumstances, it's very overwhelming at at how unsettled the world is. I get very sad and I get scared for my children. And I just think, oh my gosh, like what on earth, what is the world going to look like for them? I don't know. Maybe it'll be fine. Who knows? I don't know. But the Bible does teach us that regardless of where you stand on eschatology, I think people agree the world's not supposed to get better. It's supposed to get harder. It's supposed to get worse. But not, don't lose heart. I've overcome but, the world. But that's not really what our hope is. And if anything, this is a reminder that life can change so quickly. And we really do, if we can be like Paul and learn to be content and not worry about, you know, what you are wear, the flowers of the field are all dressed. God's going to take care of us. But that that's yeah. the part where I think there's real faith, right? But most of yeah. us, you know, myself included in my daily life, have never really needed that kind of a faith. So maybe we're just being asked to walk in faith in ways that we weren't before. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Well, it's been great to have you in. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for fun. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your thoughts. And uh, thank you for listening in today. That's my friend Meg from Bucks County. We've known each other professionally for years. She's a wedding photographer and I'm a wedding DJ, but uh, also friends on Facebook, and I actually invited her in to talk about stuff I've seen her post on Facebook about the last couple of years, specifically pertaining to kids in school, her kids, other kids, education, and thoughts on those things. Uh, I encourage you to check out the podcasts of our conversation as well later on at WFIL.com. That'll do it for the program. Thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful night. It's Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.